Let us pray. God, as we continue this Lenten journey, as we take this week in particular, this holy week to reflect on your Son, our Savior, Jesus' last days on this earth, Lord, speak into our hearts and minds all that which we need to hear, see, and understand as we examine these special moments in Scripture. Show us new things. Use these words to transform us, to draw us closer to you. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Maundy Thursday. This is part, of course, our Holy Week, which began last Sunday on Palm Sunday called Passion Week. It's an interesting week. It's not just Jesus' last week, but much is happening. Things that are written about in Scripture, things that maybe we didn't know about or see or have not read about. It's actually a very political time. Not only is Jesus nears his end, is the, is the work against Jesus, is, is the opposition to Jesus mounts, but Passover always brought with it a highly intense nature, a, a political time, this Passover meal that we heard that almost foreign reading to us from our first lesson. It was, this day is, of course, the Passover festival, this day that's described here in Scripture. It would be Jesus' last Passover meal on earth. As we know, it is Jesus' last meal with his disciples. We call this, of course, Maundy Thursday. And this day in particular, I think, but certainly all of this Holy Week, even though this week was progressing to an end for Jesus, even though this would be a painful and certainly concerning, a heavy week as we even hear in Jesus' prayer in the garden and his words on the cross, Jesus managed to make the most of these moments, to take control of these moments and offer something both for his disciples and for us. And so there is something special happening here in this moment. I love this passage in John, although it doesn't capture our communion liturgy, and, and that's why we read Matthew. It captures some things that we miss in the other readings of what happened in the upper room on that evening. There are really three events that are occurring here in this moment. There is, of course, the meal, the Passover meal, this meal that they shared for the last time. And then we, of course, have this foot washing that's described in John. It's a very powerful moment, and I'll get to that in a little bit. And then, of course, we have what we understand is our moment of communion, this moment where after the meal, it says in Scripture, Jesus stood and broke the bread, stood and offered the cup, instituted this sacrament, which is so much of what we are about today. Three incredible things are happening here. Threes are important in Scripture. They happen a lot. And so there is some interesting things for us to understand, to think about. Now, I don't know the exact order, but my suspicion is that it was probably meal, then foot washing, then this moment of communion. We know that communion was most certainly last. 
But boy, there's a lot happening here. But there's also something happening here that gets missed and uh, an intimate moment with Jesus that goes beyond these three intimate moments that I've just described that we'll look at as well. One of the great truths about this passage for me, one of the reasons that I am so in love with this day, with this celebration in the church, is it is one of the greatest reminders in all of the scripture and all of our story that God desires intimacy with us. We all crave good, healthy intimacy, don't we? We can think of times where that's fallen apart, where we haven't received that, where there's a disconnect whether that's in friendship or in marital relationship or in relationship with our kids or in relationship with God. These moments, perhaps the greatest truth of this moment in the upper room on Thursday is that it speaks to us that God desires intimacy with us. Each of these moments offers us a different level of intimacy. The first piece, the meal. In the meal, Jesus invites us in. Jesus invites us in. He invites us to the table. He invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into the kingdom. Now, a meal is not the same now as it was then. I have shared many meals, some of the best here, for the record, and we know that meals can take on many forms. It could be something that we eat at our desk or in our car in 7.5 minutes. It could be something where we sit and we laugh and we converse, where there's multiple courses and nice settings. There is this wide range of meals. But understand in the day of Jesus, to share a meal together was the most intimate thing you could do outside of marital relationship. It was the most intimate act. That's where we've lost sight of it. It's so easy for us. It just kind of happens. But in Jesus' day, this was the most intimate act outside of that marriage relationship. It was the most intimate thing you could do with one another, to sit and to have a meal and to break bread. And so Jesus invites us in to this intimacy. This is part of what's happening. This meal is sacred. Because life is fragile. And I say that not just to speak of death and, of course, Jesus' death. But we know that the smallest things can set us off course. For example, I had a perfect plan today for getting here just enough time to feel good about my message. And then the train happened. <laughs> right? You all know, right? But it wasn't just one of the trains. It was the one that stopped for because Jessica got caught by it. And that was 30 minutes after I had already turned around and gone around it. Right? You've had that happen. Somebody should shoot the train. The little things, the big things, we recognize that life is fragile. Jesus, in this last meal with these friends who he'd spent over three years with, through thick and thin, in all these ministry moments, the rejection, the acceptance, the great ministry, the failures, he came to this last intimate moment with his friends. Life is fragile. 
This meal is not just about food or Passover. It is about those things. It's important that they celebrated the Passover meal, that Jesus would then be the Passover lamb, but it's about relationship. It's about breaking bread together. It's about community. That Some of the greatest community I have ever experienced has come over a table. Has it not? Some of the best fellowship, some of the greatest growth in relationships, some of the best stories that we can or can't tell have come over a meal. There's an intimacy here. We're invited in. Jesus invites us in. Jesus invites us to connect with him. More than just food, we can connect with God. But then Jesus goes a step further. After inviting us in, Jesus chooses to connect with us. This is what happens in the foot washing. Jesus chooses to connect with us. We don't understand the significance of this moment at all. There, perhaps, is nothing, no practice that we as human beings can do that is more powerful and intimate than a foot washing. I will tell you, this is something I have experienced multiple times in my life. It is one of my traditions in certain experiences that for me, as a Christ follower, as a pastor, that some of the best, most humbling, most powerful moments have been on my knees washing the feet of another. And I don't particularly like feet. but also perhaps the most humbling and challenging and earth-shaking moments of my life and faith have been when I'm on the receiving end of that. Understand what's happening in this moment. Jesus, the Son of God, King of kings, the one who raises from the dead, the one who conquers sin and death, gets down on his hands and his knees. I understand Peter's response, right? I've seen it when I've experienced this, when I've done this with others. And their feet were not uh, better off than ours. Dusty in the Middle East, you know. Sandals. Lots of travel. Animals, the Son of God, down on his hands and knees, and he takes and he washes the feet of these disciples, these ones who he know who are going to walk away from him in just hours. They're going to fall asleep on him. They're going to run away from him. They're going to deny him. They're going to sell him out. And in this last moment of intimacy with them, he chooses to get down on his hands and his knees. What a moment. What a powerful moment. And not only does he do this, he then invites us to do the same. Jesus invites us in, and then he connects with us. He serves us as if what he's done for us and continues to do for us is not enough. He serves these disciples. He connects with them. 
What an intimate act. And most of us don't like people to even see our feet, right? The Son of God to wash our dirty, stinky feet. This is what happens here. It's a reverse of the custom, you know. You see, it's the servant that's supposed to wash the master's feet, right? You go to a spa or a salon to get somebody to take care of your feet, right? You pay for that service. Jesus reverses the role and becomes the servant. Not the first time, and as we know, it certainly isn't the last. What a powerful moment. But perhaps the most powerful moment is hidden in this passage. I want you to look at the scripture, and I want to go to verse 23. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. I want you to understand this. By the way, do we know whom the disciple Jesus loved is? John. Which is funny, he writes that in the book of John, so I wonder, did you name yourself? But we have an answer to this question. Why is it that John is the disciple that Jesus loved? Surely he loved all of them. But why does John have this name? It, you know, why does David have the name a man after God's own heart? Well, it's the same kind of question. Why does John have the name that the disciple whom Jesus loved? We actually have the answer in verse 23. It says, while he was reclining next to him. Now, the English is bad here. I want to understand what it means to be reclining next to him. It wasn't as if John was sitting in the chair just hanging back and Jesus was here. When it says reclining next to him, what it actually means is John is literally leaning up against Jesus to the point where he is almost in the lap of Jesus. His head is literally against the chest of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. His head is literally leaned up against him in this kind of intimate, almost this cuddling moment, if you will. In such a way that, that as John is there with Jesus, leaned up against him, his head against the chest of Jesus, he can literally hear the heartbeat of God. What a moment. This is why John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because John understood intimacy with God. John understood this intimacy. Can you imagine? I like to, actually. When I struggle to think of what it means to be intimate with God, intimate with Jesus Christ, I imagine this moment. I imagine myself reclined against Jesus, my head in his chest, listening to his heartbeat, connecting to this one who washes my feet, who suffers for me. This is where John gets his name because he understood intimacy. He understood his identity. You see, this is not a statement of how good John was or how theological he was. It's a statement of relationship. It's a statement of identity. The, the thing that John got right the most, and one of the reasons I tell people to read the Gospel of John first if they're exploring the Bible for the first time or again, is he understood intimacy and relationship. 
What a moment. So as if enough is not happening, right? You've got this meal, you've got this foot washing, you've got this moment with John, and of course we have the betrayal of Judas, this confusion, this pain. We know the story. But there's more. By the way, I love this about John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I, I think that we need to think about that name and that identity. What would happen if I understood my relationship with Jesus to be so intimate, to be so real, that I began to see myself not as Marcus the pastor, Marcus the husband or father, or Marcus the grumpy driving train guy, or Marcus the guy who likes Starbucks, but Marcus, the one, the disciple that Jesus loves. You know that that identity can be ours, right? That's not just for John, not just for me, but that it's for each and every one of us because Jesus invites us in. Jesus invites us to connect. Jesus invites us to this intimacy. What a moment. But then more happens. Jesus also sends us out. Jesus invites us in, Jesus connects with us, but then Jesus sends us out. Go and do as I've done for you. Wash one another's feet. But better yet, we have this moment of communion, this sacred moment of remembrance, this gift that Jesus has given to us so that we can come and be reminded that we're invited in, be reminded that we can connect in an intimate way with Jesus, but then we're supposed to go out and bring this Jesus to others. And so Jesus doesn't just throw a last party, a goodbye, a last hurrah. He gives the disciples something to do and something to be. Remembering him, embracing him, serving others. There's not really many more moments intimate than this one, and certainly as we think about communion, there's not much more intimate than that, that we come to this table and know that Christ is somehow present, that Christ continues to give us this gift, that we can be in relationship, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are a part of this community of faith. The communion is something we do together. It unifies us. It reminds us that we are a part of the family of God. It brings us to a common place. Because I don't know if you knew this, Christians don't always agree on everything. You might have heard a rumor. Now, we all agree here, so it's really hard for us to understand. But if we didn't, we'd be able to understand this. All of these things are a reminder of our identity in Jesus Christ. It's not just a meal and a foot washing and a moment of communion. It's so much more. It's a reminder that we are invited to be in relationship with the God of the universe. And that relationship can be bigger, better, and greater than any relationship we could ever hope for, imagine for, wish for, dream, construct, Think up. It's also an important yearly reminder for us to re-recognize the power of what we do every time we gather. 
that this is not just a practice or a sacrament or the Lutheran thing or the most important part of our service. It's all those things, sure. But this is an invitation to intimacy with the one. It's an invitation to be a part of the kingdom. It's an opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. And it's also strength for us to go out into the world and bring this Jesus to others. What a powerful moment. So I think of Maundy Thursday, and I don't just think of a meal and Holy Week because there's so much more here. So much more. I'll be honest, if any moment in Scripture that I would elect first to be a part of, I think this would probably be it. That may just be me. To be there to share in that fellowship, to be there and be humbled beyond all understanding in the foot washing, to either be or learn from John who has the wisdom to lean his chest, his head up against the chest of Jesus, to be the first to celebrate this most sacred of all practices together. Maundy Thursday, more than just a story, more than just a part of Holy Week, it's a critical reminder of intimacy with Jesus. I want to do something for a moment here to conclude, and at the conclusion of this, I will uh, pray and we'll um, move to the next part of our service. But what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to close your eyes for a couple moments. And I want you to focus, and I want you to imagine yourself in this position of John, the disciple, the one that Jesus loved. You're sitting there in this room at this table. Your last meal with Jesus. Imagine yourself in, reclined against him, almost in his lap, really. Your head against the chest of Jesus. You hear the heartbeat of Jesus, the Son of God. He looks at you with love, with tenderness, with grace. You try to do the same. As you imagine yourself in that moment, be aware of your breathing. I invite you to think, pray the, the beginning part of the 23rd Psalm as you breathe. As you breathe in, think and pray the words, the Lord is my shepherd. And as you breathe out, think and pray the words, I lack nothing. There with your head against the chest of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Embrace this moment for just a moment.
Oh, Lord, you are our shepherd. And with you, we lack nothing. As we continue this journey, as we continue our reflection of this week, may we embrace these moments in the upper room, not just tonight, but in each day of our lives. The invitation to the meal, to fellowship with you, the deep connection in service, in foot washing, in this intimate moment that John had with you, the sending out to wash others' feet, the sending out to come to the table and remember. Lord, help us not to just remember in this moment, but in each moment we come to the table and every moment in between. It's in the name of the one who desires intimacy with us, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.